And it's on page 1023 in the Church Bible. It's 1023. And I want to read um, from verse 37. Mark 15, verse 37. So Mark 15, verse 37, it says this, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who'd come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask this afternoon that you would help us. We ask that the very same Spirit of God who inspired Mark to write these words would now make these words live to us, would bring us the comfort, the encouragement, the joy, the hope of this crucified saviour. Help us to understand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've called this message uh, this afternoon, this sermon, um, When Death Came Close. And it has been quite an extraordinary week for us as a church. And it's been one of those weeks where right alongside the sadness of Jen dying, has been the joy of Chris and Priscilla getting married yesterday. And that's what it means to be a family, right? That's what families do. They cry together and they laugh together. It's part of being God's family. And I think it's very clear this week that death has come close to us. So Jen was a member of Globe Church right from the beginning. She was at the away day that we had at... Trevor Val's house before we launched Globe Church. She was there. And whether or not we knew Jen, and I know that some of us probably who are quite new to the church probably didn't know her very well at all, it does force you to think. It forces you to face up to a reality that we would much prefer to bury. Our world doesn't know how to cope with death. Our world doesn't know how to process it, doesn't know how to think about it. And so we ignore it. It's not spoken about. But surely we've got something better to say. 
And when death does come close, it can leave us shaken. It can make us feel fragile, powerless and vulnerable. Perhaps some of you felt like that this week. It feels, it rocks you, right? And that is hardly surprising because the Bible speaks very, very clearly about death. Death is an intruder. It is an enemy. It is a robber. It is a prison. It is darkness. It is a cord that entangles us. It is a snare that traps us. It is unrelenting, unmerciful, unclean, and inescapable. Those are all descriptions from the Bible of what death is like. So no wonder it shakes us, right? No wonder it leaves us feeling rocked and fragile. And as I thought about it this week, I thought, well, perhaps I should preach something different. You know, what, 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 what could I preach that would be helpful to us as a church family as we think and process this subject of death? And then I looked at what we planned to preach. And I thought it doesn't get much more appropriate than that. Because what we see in Mark 15, and this is extraordinary. What we see in Mark 15 is when death came close to God. That's what's happening in Mark 15. When death came close to God. You see, what we've just read is the description of Jesus who breathed his last. And did you notice that from in that, those verses, three or four times, his body is referred to? Just have a look at it um, in verse 43. We're talking about this man, Joseph, who went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Verse 45, when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb, cut out of a rock. I don't know about you, I find this a very, very moving thing, that all that is left of Jesus is a body. It's a dead body, pinned up on a wooden cross. And to think of this man, Joseph. Now, look, I, I know this afternoon, and I, I really thought hard this afternoon about how much to do this, okay? Because I'm aware that this is painful. And whether or not it's about what's happened this week, this will bring up all sorts of stuff for many of us who've had experience of death when death came close. And there's a part of me that thought, oh, perhaps this is too much. Perhaps this is too hard. But I want us to be real. I want us to face, and I know that for some of us this is painful to think about death, but to think of Jesus and to think as Joseph pulled out the spikes and as the body of Jesus slumped down, it's just a corpse. That's powerful, right? As he's just laid on the ground. It's all that's left of Jesus. Now at this point, we need to do some thinking, all right? We need to do some theology. Now, you might think, oh, for goodness sake, John, if any afternoon is an afternoon when we don't need theology, it's this afternoon. No, if any afternoon we need theology, it's now. To understand God properly is where we will find comfort in the face of death. So I'm going to do some theology now. We're going to, we're going to do it together. We're going to think and you're going to see why this matters so much that death came close to God. 
Okay, here's the theology. Theologist means study of God. Biology is study of life. Bio, life, theology, studying. Theology, theo, God, ology, studying, studying God. (laughs) You didn't need that. So, God is not like us. That is a massive theological statement. God is not the same as us. God does not have a body. We have bodies. God doesn't. You have a body. You are some body, right? Your existence is entirely tied to the fact that you have a body. Our bodies really matter to us. We spend a huge amount of time in our culture, in our world, thinking about our bodies. Clothing our bodies, feeding our bodies, caring for our bodies. Our culture is obsessed with the body. Right? You've got a body. And our bodies are frustrating. At least mine is. Our bodies are limiting. My body can't do the things I'd love it to be able to do. (laughs) We're limited by space. I'm limited. I am here. By virtue of the fact I'm here, I am not, therefore, in Southampton. I'm here. You'll be glad to know. We are limited by space. We are limited by time. As time passes, we're getting older. Our bodies are decaying. You will leave this room older than you were when you came in. Slightly more decayed than you were when you came in. Our bodies are dying. And one day our bodies will die. But God is not like us. He does not have a body like we do. He is not limited by a body. That means he's not limited by space. God can be here and in Southampton because he's not a body like we are. He's not limited. You can't put him in one place and say there is God. So when Solomon built the temple, And some of us have been learning about the temple. When Solomon built the great temple, which was to be the dwelling place of God on earth, he says, will God really live here? Even the heavens, even the whole universe, God couldn't fit. Do you see, Solomon knew you can't put God in a room, you can't put God in a box and say, oh, here's God, he's here. No, God is not a body, he's not limited, he's not like us. God is everywhere, and he's not limited by time. God does not, and he cannot, and he will not die. He remains constant. God is not getting older. God is not aging. As time goes by, he is not becoming wiser or more mature or cleverer, because God does not change. He is constant and unchanging. God doesn't have that experience of, oh, I've only got a limited amount of time. How shall I use my life? God is not limited. And God does not die. God and death have nothing in common. Do you know, that is why, as you read the Bible, death is an unclean thing. 
Death is always kept away from God. Death and God do not come close. It's unclean. Just, let, let me just show you that, just so we get this. Numbers 19. Go, just go to Numbers 19. Uh, may feel slightly random, but you'll see why. I'll tell you where it is. Page 156. Numbers 19. Okay, here's, here's one example, right? In Numbers 19, verse 11, it says, Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh day, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's temple. They must be cut off from Israel because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them. They are unclean and their uncleanness remains on them. Here is the big point. Death is such a big deal that death and God cannot mix. Death cannot come close to God. If you even come into contact with death, you are unclean. And you need to be made clean before you can approach God. Death is a profoundly human problem. God is immortal. We are mortal. Death has nothing to do with God. And death is an intruder into God's world. It has crept in through the window. It is not how God made things to be. Even before the world got screwed up by human sin, we still had bodies. We were still limited. We still weren't like God. We were still limited by space and by time. We were still creatures. But once humanity chose to go it alone, once humanity turned its back on God, suddenly these bodies became mortal, dying, death entered the world. God and humanity are so different. We must not blur this distinction. I hope you've got that. That's the theology, right? God is not like us. And yet here it is. Here's what I want you to see now. There was a moment when death came close to God. And it all started with God doing what? Come on, we've got to think this afternoon. I really you will find massive comfort in thinking. It all started when God took on a body. That's when it started, this idea that God came close to death. Do you see the huge significance of that? What we are told in the Bible is that the God of all creation, who does not have a body, who is not limited by time and space and anything else, He chose to step into this world and take on a human body. A real, tiny, wrinkly, baby body. He took on a body that was getting older. He took on a body that was decaying. A body that was changing all the time. Jesus, as a man, got older. He got wiser. God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. That's the heart of the gospel. And why? Why would God take on a body? This is the point, okay, this is where we're getting to. 
Why would God take on a body? It was so that he could die. That is why God became man. Because God cannot die. He's immortal. He's unchanging. He can't die. And therefore, in order to deal with death, he had to become a man so that he could die. Why did Jesus spend 33 years walking around with a decaying body, a frustrating body, a limited body, a body that got tired and that got hungry, and that, so that he could die? So that he could suffer. He did not keep death at arm's length. He experienced it completely. He tasted the bitterness. He experienced the entangling cords of death. He felt the darkness and he breathed his last. Death came close to God. And all that was left was a, a corpse, a lifeless body. His breath had gone. Now I get it, there's a mystery here. How can it be? Can I be really clear here, really careful? The Bible stops short of ever saying that God died. God cannot die. But God became as close to death as possible. He tasted death for us. Jesus, in his humanity, died. And God, in his deity, in union with that humanity, experienced death itself. Here is the love of God. In that corpse, lying in the dust of the ground, in that corpse, there is the supreme act, the supreme demonstration of God's love for you. He so loves you that he would send his son to become a man, to go to the very depths of death in order to take hold of you and to lift you out. Jesus went to the place where we deserve to be, the place of death, in order to save us. And yet there's something about this death that's different. Because do you see what happens to the people watching him die? It's really weird. It does something to them. It sh- them seeing Jesus die changes them. And if we can get our heads around this, the fact that God became man and he died on a cross, in order to save us, it produces something in the people watching. First, did you see it produces certainty? Have a look at this guy in verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Isn't that an interesting response? You've just watched a bloke butchered, beaten, and dying. And you say... Surely he's the son of God. There is such certainty in what this centurion says. It's not just a, huh, maybe he was the son of God. Perhaps I got it wrong. No, this is surely, this is, I'm, I am sure that this is the son of God. And he says that because he saw how he died. 
I think for many of us, in this area of Jesus and God, we feel that certainty is not possible. We feel it's in the area of speculation, cross your fingers, wishful thinking, you know, let's hope for the best. It's nice that when Christians die, they go to heaven. That's nice, wishful thinking, can't really be true, but hey, you know, we'll say it anyway. No, 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 no. If we can understand when death came close to God, it produces in us a certainty. The centurion here is not some gullible, emotionally vulnerable person. This is a, he's a seasoned executioner. He's seen this hundreds of times. He's seen loads of people die, but never like this. This one is different. At the moment where this one dies, he says, surely this one's the son of God. This man is the son of God. For a Roman soldier to say that? Do you know, that's been Mark's point right from the start. The very first line of Mark's gospel, if you've been here for any length of time, you'll know this. The very first line of Mark's gospel is, this is the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here is a Roman, watches him die and goes, this is the Son of God. Do you get it? The death of Jesus produces a certainty in us. Do you know, that is why we proclaim the death of Jesus over and over and over again. That is why at Globe Church, we will not stop preaching the Christ crucified. We will not stop preaching that Jesus died because it's only the death of Jesus which makes people say, yes, he's the son of God. And if you're not sure that Jesus is the son of God, if you're not sure that he died on a cross to save you, then you need to keep hearing the message of this cross. Because this death of Jesus produces faith and certainty. When, when you don't feel sure, and even perhaps this week we've had doubts and we feel uncertain and we feel insecure and we think, oh, is this really true? Is this really true? Don't bury that. Don't ignore that. Don't try and convince yourself and say, no, come on, come on, you need to be brave. Come on, just believe it. No, no, no. You go back to, you go back to the cross. Stand before the cross of Jesus. Watch him die. Surely this man is the son of God. It produces faith in us. It's a bit like, uh, sorry, okay, warning, light a moment. Uh, you know the new Beauty and the Beast film is coming out? Yes, you probably, with Emma Watson is in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> no, okay. There's a new film coming out, Beauty and the Beast, and there's a line in, in the songs in Beauty and the Beast. There's a line that says, there's something there that wasn't there before. I feel like I'm talking to people who are either, yeah. Your, dis, your Disney knowledge needs some work. That's true with... <laughs> I warned you this was, I don't know why I embarked on this. That's true of the centurion. There's something there that wasn't there before. The death of Jesus has produced something in this centurion, which is certainty, faith, confidence. And I want to say to you, don't settle for being an uncertain Christian. The Bible says it is possible to be sure that Jesus died for you. Look at the cross. See how he died. Surely this man was the son of God. 
Secondly, it produces loyalty. The death of Jesus produces loyalty. I, I love this. Have a look at verse 40. Um, some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. Is that right? It's a random little paragraph, isn't it? Except that there is a beautiful picture here. Here are this group of women who clearly are devoted to Jesus. They love him, right? They followed him all the way from Galilee. They've watched, they've watched, they've watched, they've watched as their hero, their, the one they follow, the one that they are so concerned for. They've watched him die. What do they do next? Do they just go home and go, oh, that was sad, disappointing? No, they don't. They seem to move towards him, not away from him. They watch from a distance, but they don't then just walk off. They're not scattered away. They're drawn to him. And so as the body is taken down, do you see they're following? They're there. And in verse 47, it says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. They're still following him. They still want to care for this man's needs. The death of Jesus seems to produce in these women a loyalty, a devotion to him. And I think often our experience of death in our world can cause us to walk away from Jesus. Can cause us away just to say, oh, this is, I, I just, oh, I'm going to move. I'm going to drift away and, uh, and, and lose sight of him. I know many people who say, oh, yeah, I used to be a Christian. I used to follow Jesus. But then someone suffered and died and it was just so hard for me and I wandered away. I want to say to you, no, no, no. These women, the death of Jesus drove them to him. And if we can understand death rightly, it will drive us to this one, not away from him. The one who is God, who left the glory of heaven to come so that he could taste death, who took on a body, will be driven to him. Not disillusioned and cynical, but drawn to him. And I wonder whether this afternoon, perhaps some of us, our hearts are really fickle. You know, we're sort of like, oh yeah, Jesus, he's okay, and I go to church on Sunday, and that's fine, but then... Other times I kind of act as if he's not really that important. Dad, yeah, you know, I'm kind of, yes, I'm excited about him. No, I'm not. You know, we sort of divide in our loyalty. Can I say to you that a, a right experience of death will drive us to a greater loyalty of Jesus? And we see what really is at stake. When we see what really matters, it will drive us to him. I wonder, will you allow, when death comes close, will you allow it to draw us, drive us to him, not away from him? And then thirdly, um, is expectancy. This is extraordinary, what's going on as Jesus dies. It was preparation day. This is verse 42. That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. <laughs> what a... Who is this bloke? Suddenly he turns up out of nowhere. Hello, I'm Joseph of Arimathea. Um... He rocks up. He's quite an important person. And he goes boldly to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body. Now that seems like quite a weird thing to do when, when the council, who he is a prominent member of, the Jewish council, when they have just accused this guy of blasphemy and executed him, 
for him to then go and say, actually, I want the body, I want to bury him properly. That's a risky move. Why does he do that? Well, Mark tells us he does it because he was waiting for the kingdom of God. So piece this together in your heads, right? This man is expectant. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. He sees Jesus die and he says, in some weird way, which I don't think he probably fully understood, but he understands enough to say, this guy's death is related to the coming of the kingdom of God. And therefore, I'm going to honor this man in his death because this man, in some weird way, is the king who's bringing in this kingdom that I'm waiting for. And so he goes boldly. This took a lot of guts, a lot of courage. Pilate checks that Jesus is really dead. He is dead, so he, Joseph wraps Jesus up in a linen cloth places him in a tomb, and then rolls a stone in front of the entrance. If Joseph hadn't done this, Jesus would have been thrown on the rubbish heap with all the other criminals. But Joseph can see something more. He's expectant. He's waiting. And the death of Jesus seems to produce in him an expectancy of something more. This isn't the end. There's something about this death which is bigger. There's something about this death which is bringing in a kingdom and Joseph's expectant and waiting. I just think the normal human reaction to the death of Jesus, even if he thought, oh, perhaps he's the king of the Jews. Oh, no, he's not. No, no, definitely not. Because he's dead. Instead, it seems to be, perhaps he's the king of the Jews. Watch him die Perhaps he's the king. I think he is the king of the Jews. I'm going to take down his body. I'm going to bury him like a king. Because Joseph is waiting for the kingdom of God. And I want to say to you, if you can understand this message of the Bible, that God took on a human body in order to die to save us, then suddenly you begin to think perhaps death is not the end. Perhaps there is an expectancy that there's something more yet to happen. There's a kingdom yet to be established. Jesus, this man who was dead, is dead in the tomb. It's not over yet. It's not over. Joseph knows that. And I don't think he's got a scooby-doo clue why or how. But there's something. Something. And that expectancy is what death should create in us. I don't think this is over. On the BBC website this um, week, there's been a little thing about a little Shakespeare notebook which has been found. It's on Antiques Roadshow. Someone took it along to Antiques Roadshow. And it's like from Shakespeare's time. It's like the most exciting thing ever on Antiques Roadshow. And there's a video clip of it. How many people have watched this video clip? None of you, because you've all got lives. Uh, I clicked on it because I don't have a life. And I watched this video clip. And uh, it's very exciting. And the man's very excited like they get on Antiques Roadshow. And they're very excited like, like that excited. And, uh, and he's looking at it he's saying, this is really, really exciting. This is really wonderful. And um, of course... 
We don't care. I don't care. I don't, I'm not interested in any of that stuff. All I want to know is, how much is it worth? That's all I'm interested in. So I'm going, come on, come on, click, click, click through. Uh, don't care, don't care who it's about. And then at the very end, it stops when he, just as he says, commercially, this is worth, then it stops and it says, you'll have to watch on Sunday night. Tonight. You see, they know, right? They know, they know me. I'm so shallow and superficial. I don't care about the historical value. I just want to know what it's worth. And so what they do is they create an expectancy and they, they make me want to tune in tonight. I want to say to you that death creates an expectancy. The death of Jesus creates an expectancy and that changes everything. Right, let's wrap all this up. When death comes close, as it has done this week, with the death of Jen, and as it will do to all of us at various times in our lives. When death comes close, I want you to know that death came close to God. I want you to know that death is something which God has first-hand experience of. He knows. And I want us to ask that actually as, we, as death comes close, it would create within us a certainty about who Jesus is that it would drive us to a deeper loyalty to Jesus, not to run away from him, but to run to him. Where else would we go but to him? And that it would produce within us an expectancy. This is not it. It is not over. The fat lady has not sung. There is still more to go. Still more. And therefore, we can look forward with hope. So this afternoon, guys, I, I want us to enjoy this. I want us to enjoy this truth, enjoy this gospel. Um, and we're going to sing together and we're going to celebrate um, and think about all that God has done. So let's take a moment of quiet to pray. Um, and let's take our experiences of death and of grief and of sorrow. And let's praise God for the fact that the death of Jesus changes everything.